This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to this frosty morning. Yes. I just noticed the window's open. I'm hot. So I um, I wanted to today I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Zen culture and to ask ask you all what you think Zen culture is. Are you excited? <laughs> what do I mean by Zen culture? What, what I think is kind of interesting as a side note, that when I Googled Zen culture, just because I was like, what do people say about what Zen culture is? I Googled Zen culture. There really isn't anything. I mean, I saw some things that were like about, you know, Japanese culture, Chinese culture, Indian culture. Zen and, and uh, Zen, as in the the Zen of, of things, the Zen of everything. Like so, you have you know that part of it. But in terms of actual descriptions of what a culture of a Zen center or a Zen practice or a practice community culture, I didn't find anything. And I thought that was really interesting because I feel like there is such a unique culture in Zen. And people are nodding. So you all, some of you may know or have a sense of what Zen culture is like. So uh, I want to hear it first from, from people. What do you think? Is, what, what are the kind of the, the, not necessarily essential? I mean, you could even think of it in terms of like, what are the necessary qualities of a Zen culture? Ooh, yes. Well, since I took your precepts class, I'll have to say it's uh, fundamentally ethical. Mm -hmm. Well, what is the definition of culture, though? Sorry? What is the definition of culture? Yes, what is, okay, that's a good, yeah, let's like back up a little bit and say what does, what is meant by culture? Yeah. What do you think? Know. When you think of the word culture? Well, in biology, the culture is the medium where things grow from. Uh-huh, yes, nice. Yeah, I like that. The medium from which things grow. Yes? Like shared assumptions or shared understanding? Expectations maybe even? Shared habits or ways or in jokes or in jokes. Yeah, right. Subculture, right? Inside jokes. Inside jokes can come out of that that medium. Yeah. In organizations I've been part of, there's often that I've often seen a distinction between the written procedures, policies, structures, etc., and the culture of the community, which is more an unwritten. Un Sometimes spoken, but oh, kind of impl more implicit. Implicit, not explicit. Yeah. yeah. It seems like it's more so of an intentional thing, right? Right. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to sort of hard to find. And that, and that it's constantly being created, recreated, evolved, shifting. Yes. There's no fixedness to it, or there might be. I mean, obviously, uh, I don't know if people are aware. There have been a lot of announcements about the fact that the. Governance committee on the Zen Center board has been working diligently for the past, I don't know how many months, for like the last 10, 12 months, on developing new policies for the Zen Center. And has been 
actively asking the Sangha for like feedback. Like, please be a part of this, developing our policies. Right. How many of you have read through any of the policies? Cool, all right, yeah, a little bit, yeah. And how many of you have actually provided feedback? Yeah. Okay, good, good. Well, that's excellent. You don't count. You're on the board. <laughs> it's your job. <laughs> yeah, so in terms of developing a culture, like, uh, Enrique, do you think that that captures it, the, the description that Sherry gave of like the culture in biology, like the medium out, with, out of which things can grow? I really like that. And yeah, yes, please. Um, in, there's a branch of science called memetics. Memetics. Um, and mm. so culture would be a system of beliefs, ideas, and behaviors yes. that we learn from each other through imitation. Right. There's kind of like uh, standards. So Charles brought up ethics, ethical standards. Right. Having the 16 bodhisattva precepts be kind of like a starting, it's a starting point for Zen practice. We don't talk about, pre well, I think we have been talking about precepts quite a bit recently, but oftentimes when you go to a Zen center, they don't really talk about precepts. A lot of things are implicit, or you only find out about it because you go and speak to a teacher and say, hey, I want to start a formal relationship, right? And then, and that's a private relationship. The private relationship between a teacher and a student happens in practice discussion or dokusan, right? And we don't actually talk about what happens in the private relationship so much here, right? And that's interesting because I, I feel like sometimes, and recently, um, one, of the in, one of the things that I want to ins uh, bring in to our Zen culture here is a, as a personal priority of mine that I think I want to institutionalize, in a sense, have it be part of our our shared culture is increased diversity and inclusion. This is my own personal feeling, and I feel like I speak for many people in the community as well who have also said, wow, I want more diversity and inclusion in our, in our community. Right? So this is like an example of needing to shift the culture or expand our culture. Right? And there's ways in which we can do that. Now, I'm one person. I happen to be the head teacher here, so I have a lot of, maybe you might say I have a lot of power right, in that position. Power meaning just the ability to affect change. Right? However, I'm one person, and I need to, if just one person has this you know, vision, without, like, without buy-in and help and support from the entire community, it'll kind of like, right, it'll fall, you can fall flat without that kind of uh, participation. So a couple months, maybe it was over It was over a year ago, it was like a year and a half ago, we had a, uh, a gathering that we basically invited anybody who was in any kind of role within the community. Uh, so that meant anybody who had signed up to be a doan, to, to have some responsibility, who basically made a commitment to be responsible for something. <laughs> very, very broad, right? And we called those people the leadership group. And we had, a, we had a kind of a community meeting of those people. I think there was like 33 people that we determined that were in some kind of a leadership role. And we brought them together, we gave them a bunch of surveys, and we asked them, what are, the what are the priorities? What do you think the priorities of the Zen Center should be? 
right? And that was an attempt to clarify and develop our Zen culture, right? How many of you were at that group? So quite, quite a, few, a few people. Were there. Like 10 items we were prioritizing? Yeah, we kind of came up with a broad list, and then we came in, like, had 10 different items, and then we posted all the results from the, we think we, we actually sent the survey to the entire membership, <coughs> if I remember correctly, and then we posted all the results and talked about them. And, and, you know, and the board went off and took that as their vision, their mission, and worked on things. And, and so that's all been, you know, we did that a year and a half ago, and we haven't done it again since. And I thought, we're at an interesting time, the Zen Center is at an interesting time, because there was just recently, like, what, two months ago, we did the stepping, the, the ceremony of, what is it being called? It was, uh, an installation investiture, <laughs> I like that word, investiture ceremony, right? Where I was asked to be the head teacher and I said yes, and now I get to sit in this seat. <laughs> and it's a, it's a big responsibility. And I need help. I need help in doing it. And I think that everybody here, maybe not everybody here, because some people may have just like, showed up today and like, what's this place about? But uh, I think everybody here is, uh, has a certain level of commitment to be on this path together, right? But it's not made explicit. And I have to say my own, my own conditioning coming from a, a long time of practice in a, mon a monastic environment has left me sadly kind of blind and ignorant about how this all works in a urban temple. And I have to say, that's a big part of what I want to talk about today is the fact that I am, yeah, I need help. <laughs> in terms of like where, I'm, where I come from, everybody is doing the same thing day in and day out. Everybody who's there has already signed their life away pretty much, for at least the time that they're there, right? There's no escape. I mean, you could leave, but you'd have to, it would take you at least five hours of walking, you know, up the road and down the road before you would even see another car, right? And you're in the mountains, and then you'd be like on Carmel Valley Road, and maybe you could hitchhike, right? But you'd also have to walk from 1,500 feet to about 4,500 feet, and then back down to 1,500. I mean, it'd be a trek. So people don't just like pop out. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard the stories. <laughs> so, um, so the the culture that I come from, it's kind of pretty. It was very clear what the culture was and what the expectations were, and there was like a whole list of guidelines to be a member of the community, and you signed something saying, yes, I'm on board with this. Everyone kind of had their buy-in, right? Whereas here, any, we, you know, we're, opening, we're open to anybody who wants to come in and practice. And that is beautiful. And the spirit of Zen, and at the same time, there's, sometimes we talk about it in terms of the horizontal and the vertical. And how those seem like they're in opposition, but they are actually, they're required to support one another. Mary, did you have a comment? Oh, I'll save it. You'll save it? 
So in terms of this culture uh, and the position that we're in, one of the things that makes the position that we're in right now very unique for myself, but actually this is going to affect everybody. So in a few months, in the beginning of April, I will be going, going through a ceremony. The ceremony is called Shiho, or Dembo. There's two, actually two ceremonies. And I don't know much about them. And the reason I don't know much about them is because they're secret. I've been practicing Zen for 20 plus years. And I know something about these ceremonies, but like that they take place at midnight, that they take place in a room that's covered in red cloth. It's kind of like a womb. You're in a womb in the ceremony. That, they, uh, that there's blood involved. Not a lot, but a little <laughs> bit. Okay? These are the things that like, these are the kind of the esoteric details that you know, I've heard of, but I don't actually know. I know there's some, gonna be some crawling around on the floor. I mean, and maybe even saying this in a public talk is like going too far. So uh, in terms of, yeah, in terms of exposing some of the secret esoteric practices in Zen. But it's part of our culture, too, and I want to share it with you. Uh, the, you know, just the, the fact that this is about to happen. So I'm going to go through these ceremonies, and talking with my teacher, basically the ceremony will start, as far as I can gather, the ceremony takes about three weeks. It'll start here at the Austin Zen Center with something called Busarai. I don't know the details yet but I do know that Busarai is bowing to the ancestors. As many of you, as you know, Zen is a culture, part of Zen culture is that there's a lot of emphasis placed on one's lineage, on the, a, a line of succession of teachings being passed from, you know, there's a various descriptions like warm hand to warm hand, that the teachings are passed face to face. The transmission ceremony is called face-to-face -face transmission. So it's not something that, it, and it's esoteric, so it's not talked about. So in all of this, it's part of the Zen culture, I wanted to share this with you, because sometimes we have, I'd say often, uh, not just uh, in our Western culture, but just in general, I think human beings like to know things. They like things to be clear, and they like to um, put things in their proper, like in mentally, to mentally arrange things so that they're understandable, right? That we, have, that we can conceive of them. Yeah? Do you all agree with that? So one of the things I think that you find in a Zen center, another cultural thing, is that one of the main practices is going beyond conception. That is one of the, the heart of Zen practice. If you think of like the Heart Sutra, there's right now there's a study group that's just formed uh, studying the Heart Sutra. And um, yeah, I think of like being a Zen teacher, probably one of the main things that one does as a Zen teacher is help people understand the Heart Sutra in a non-intellectual way. How does that come about? Study, for sure. But study only gets you so far, right? It comes about through sitting, a lot of sitting practice, and a lot of meeting and discussing the teachings and what comes up in one's practice. 
that's practice discussion. I found out, I was talking to some people here uh, a couple days ago about practice discussion and think, I, I mentioned something like, oh, some people should bring that up in practice discussion. This is something to bring up in practice discussion. And the two people I was speaking to said, I would never even consider, consider bringing that up in practice discussion. I can't remember what the, what the it was that we were talking about. Ben, do you remember? I think it was like interactions with people and just daily life. Because mostly, I assumed it was like sitting practice, like just straight up sitting practice. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that we could bring up things as far as like, uh, the sense I got was like maybe in relation to precepts right. and how our lives are kind of shaped. Right. How, are, how we are in our practice of, in our culture whether it's working with other people, which I have to say is a, one of the main things that I think of, that I take as essential to Zen training and practice, is actually working with others, being in relationship in a Sangha, and having your shit come up, mm -hmm. quite frankly. Like, you're, you know, you're, everyone has their own kind of weird stuff, and we rub each other the wrong way sometimes. That is perfect. That needs to happen in a Zen center. If that's not allowed to happen, or if that's kind of somehow shied away from, then we're not real. We're not a real Sangha. But at the same time, you need enough safety in the community and enough trust to know that our practice can hold conflict, that our practice can uh, support us in our growth, that the medium, that the culture, is robust enough and has enough nutrients so that we don't just die, <laughs> right? I mean, part of us dies, actually, hopefully. The part of us that is the, the small self, ego, that relaxes, hopefully that relaxes, okay? Let me just clarify, we don't wanna kill that part, but we do want to kind of remove its nourishment <laughs> and maybe allow it to die slowly, right? The small selfish part of us, right? the small-minded part. Right? But how do we do, we can't just rip it out. That's what we've relied on our whole lives to survive. We can't just get rid of it. That would leave us completely, uh, I mean, we can maybe, if we could, maybe we should like just rip the Band-Aid off. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, good luck even getting to that point, right? So in terms of this discussion that I was having and finding out that, oh, there are, what are the avenues of engagement here in our culture? How do we engage with one another? Especially when people mostly come here and are completely silent and face the wall. <laughs> right. Any thoughts? Going along with this, I, this question of what is our Zen culture? You've got precepts. <laughs> the tea and cookie practice, yes. There was a, um, at the Branching Streams conference a couple of years ago, Branching Streams, uh, the Association of Branching Streams are all the Suzuki Roshi as practiced in the San Francisco Zen Center lineage sanghas throughout the world. There are like over 100 sanghas, like ours, that, you know, these branching streams, branching away from the San Francisco Zen Center and starting new places all over the place. So. All over the world, these sanghas exist. And um, at the last conference, 
we had this one kind of open discussion where we could write down like an open discussion topic and then uh, and then assign those. So we were assigned a room and anybody who was interested in that open discussion could come and join the conversation. The conversation, I, I put in a suggestion and the suggestion, uh, the phrase was beyond tea and cookies. <laughs> and a bunch of people showed up because they knew exactly what I meant. It's like there's a certain level of conversation at tea and cookie time, right? And that's a way of engaging in community is you go into the tea and cookie room and you engage, you, you know, you munch on your cookies and drink your tea and you, you know, you visit with people, right? And that's essential. It's essential to have that time where actually we're kind of, we're breaking bread together. Right? We're doing something that makes us feel nourished in each other's presence. In terms of another aspect of Zen culture is to me is this um, careful attention so it can, it can be careful attention to detail, but also careful attention to things, careful attention to other beings, to things mm -hmm. in our own being. So mm -hmm. this aspect of careful attention, I think, is something we learn in a Zen kind of space. Yes, and how do you learn that? Does somebody tell you? Is it explicit? Mostly it's just seeing somebody do it and then kind of feeling that, the, the kind of lightness of that. Yeah, I would say that that's definitely another part of Zen culture that maybe people don't necessarily know, which is that hardly anything will ever be explained to you. No matter how much you want something to be explained to you, you have to ask. And when you're asked, when you ask, you might be given something. But you'll be given the opposite the next day. I mean, it'll be, it's going to be frustrating. <laughs> so one thing that Zen culture requires is a certain level of patience. <laughs> I think. I think it requires a certain level of patience and playfulness. Right? Curiosity, playfulness, patience. Yes, Mary? Getting back to this beyond tea, tea and cookies thing you brought up. You know, when you're in a monastic culture, you are in a relationship, and so the relationship can transform you. You're not just staring at a wall. Right. I think what's needed are more opportunities to, like, we had two council meetings last week where we really were in relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and in dyads, we're, we're accomplishing some sort of task together. Yes, that, like a barn what, raising. That's what's bringing you together in a monastic community. We're, we're kind of coming in here, there's not a shared commitment to each other. Right, yeah. There's a commitment to our individual practice. Mm. There really isn't, we may have values that we espouse, but we're not really living them as a community. Right, yeah, and how does that, that's, that was my question. It's like, how does that come about? Because I feel like I have a, there's a steep learning curve for me coming from a community culture where I didn't have to worry about that at all because it was just given. In fact, you couldn't escape it. People wanted to escape, but they couldn't. They couldn't escape unless they, you know, just said, okay, I quit and just walked out the down the road, which did happen. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. But people do. I remember after one, after one. Uh, so in terms of entering the monastery, this is a side note. But entering the monastery, you sit what's called tangaria, which is five days where you just are plop, you plop down on your seat, in the zendo, and you sit there for five days. You get, you know, you can leave the zendo when you need to use the restroom, and uh, you're fed. And you're even given tea and cookies <laughs> every day. You get a tea, you know, a cup of tea and cookie. 
and after those five days, and you get to go home to your cabin to sleep, you know, and you maybe you get a 20 minute stretch break after each meal. But otherwise, you're in the zendo from six, five something in the morning till 8.30, at night, just sitting, while the monastery just kind of goes around, goes along without you. But you're, you're, you know, you're sitting there just in the presence of bells and chanting and people sweeping and cleaning and the septic tank truck coming in and pumping the shit out of the septic tanks. And you just sit there, you know, just absorbing it all, right? After one of these, and then after you get out of that, yeah, the last day, that last night, you're basically, you, there's a ceremony where you officially, formally, ceremonially enter the practice period. And you say your name, and you line up, and I mean, it's all very formal. You line up in order seniority, you enter, you do your bows, you offer incense, everybody bows to everybody else, and then you're, you say your name, and then the Eno hits the switch in and says, this, you know, these... This practice period is now open. These people have now entered the, the monastery, right? And that basically, that's the point at which you are, you are now a monastic. You have to go through this whole ritual. But one, one time, during the opening ceremony, like the ceremony where everyone's walking around and offering incense, somebody was taking a bath in the, bath, the bathhouse. And it was like, what, what's going on in the bathhouse? Like there's somebody taking a bath in there, and I happened to be the person who was lighting the candles or something. So I went and, and like knocked on the door to the bathtub room. I was like, hello? Because you know sometimes people just show up <laughs> at Tassahara and take a bath. Um, <laughs> they do. It's a hot, nice hot springs, you know. It's like people, locals come in. But it was a student. It was a Tongario student who was in there taking a bath, and I was like, "Oh dear, this is not a good sign," <laughs> because she's you know everyone else is walking around offering incense at all these altars, and this person who's a new student who has just finished the Tongario sitting for five days, she's about to enter the practice period, and she's not there in the big ceremony. And I knocked and said, "So everyone's walking around, and you know you you're missing the ceremony." And she said, no thanks. <laughs> I'm not missing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she said, I'm not missing it. I've decided to leave. I'm not staying here. <laughs> and she, that was her last day. And she left. She was like, okay, after that five days of clarifying my intention, psh, I know what my intention is, and it's not here. <laughs> and it was like, it was perfect, yeah. right? And there was no, like, weird feeling. But yes. In, in terms of this monastic versus lay sangha, and I, um, I, I think there's pluses and minuses in both in terms of the cohesion. Mm -hmm. But one of the upsides of a, of a lay sangha is that in the, in the monastery, at some point you signed up, you signed your life away, and you're there. <laughs> and people can kind of carry around this weight of like, I don't really want to be here, but I have to be here. Right, yeah. Whereas in a lay sangha, every day that you walk in the door, you've chosen to be here. There's something mm -hmm. cohesive about that that doesn't exist in a monastery. Yeah. Unless maybe you're a resident. There's <laughs> <laughs> not raising my hand in that <laughs> at all. I just wanted to say, I, I think that we're, as we've been talking, you know, culture and culture building, it's, it's conversational mm. and, and mm -hmm. relational. And so I think it, it is incumbent upon the community as a whole to provide opportunities 
for that. Yes. But also, it's a matter of each individual showing up as well. Mm -hmm. And as I sometimes say in the announcements after the talks, that there's there's so much going on here that there's always an opportunity, it seems, to play with your own like edge of discomfort, either in terms mm -hmm. of taking time out of the rest of your life, or if you're an introvert, actually mm -hmm. talking to people and showing up for a, if it's a discussion group or like the way I got involved in the Do Rio originally was just essentially someone came up to me after a morning program and said, you keep coming. Do you want, do you want to try this thing? You know, so, so I think it's both. I, I think that, that we as a community can do things to provide culture building and practice yeah. mm -hmm. building opportunities. Um, but in, in line with what Tim was saying, I think as individuals, look, I would say look for those opportunities to step up, and not simply in terms of fulfilling a commitment, but just like advancing your own path. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. contributing in that direction by developing yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Peter? Uh, I'm kind of in a unique position because... Uh, I, it took a lot of effort for me to find a way, a way, the way here because of my lifestyle. Uh, I spend an average of six months out of the year literally on the road, not here. Yeah. So uh, I kind of feel like I'm the hit and run guy. Like, <laughs> I'm gone for five weeks and I show up for a couple days, yeah, how's everybody? And then I'm gone. <laughs> um, and it's right. trying to find my way to apply. I mean, I, I honestly, if I could. If I could cook more for the Sangha and if I could be here to help work in the garden and if I could, you know, um, I would. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, my, my practice does not allow that. Yeah. Um, but so it is that, that sense of open door and, and like Tim says, the ability to, to come when I can. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so, uh, and I, I do, I, I think that the open discourse and the, as, as, the, the ability to have dialogue when you have the opportunity, you know, to talk about um, things. So mm -hmm. uh, it works for me. Yeah. <laughs> it may not be ideal, it may not be perfect, but it, it is, it and is my a, support. And there's a consistency. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like how often, so people sometimes say, ask the question, well, like, how often should I X? You know, how often should I come for practice discussion? For example. Um, or how often should I sit? What's a good good amount? Right. This is very individual. In terms of you know, juggling one's own schedule. Now I can see again. There's a certain amount of engagement that's taken for granted in a Zen center. I think. So one thing that I, I was just noticing the other week, uh, a couple days ago. There's a echo, it's called an echo, it's the dedication at the end of a service where the kokyo, the chant leader, uh, says the gives the dedication. It says what, what we're chanting for. This is all this merit and you know, virtue that we're accumulating by doing this, you know, giving our, our voices and our bows in, you know, in service of, and then the echo comes and we say what it's in service of, right? Who it's dedicated to. In the evenings, we dedicate the merit of our chanting and our sitting practice, we give it away to who? Anyone? What do we, who do we give it away to in the, in the evenings? 
deceased practitioners of this temple, all the um, deceased members of the phenomenal world? Deceased members and supporters, right? And furthermore, the sick, the hungry, the oppressed, the unemployed, and the destitute. And I remember when I first got here, thinking that was weird. Like, the unemployed? What are we saying? Like, are we having some kind of, you know, what is our, what are we saying by having that in the echo? Like, people should be employed, or... But then, just the other day, I was thinking about it in terms of the unemployed are like, everybody should be employed. Everybody. Not in a wage, getting wages for work sense. That's not what I mean. I mean, employed as in like, being engaged, invested, having one, being, uh, giving birth, labor, Right? Everyone should be giving birth. Right? The, the activity that we do, that we undertake, to have something come out of that. Right? Something creative. Not necessarily a gadget or a gizmo or some new software release, but that may be what comes out of your labor. Right? But something where you're building something. You're building, as a human being, you're building up <coughs> connections, trust, love, commitment, respect, right? We're building these things for all beings, not just for ourselves, but for all beings. And that's one of the kind of like the hallmarks of being in a Zen practice. That's right, is building something. You're building something together. So this echo on unemployment, like the other day I just, it, for some reason it struck me, like, oh yeah, that's what that, why that's in there. It's like how, crappy it is to feel unemployed, to feel like there's not, you know, there you, your efforts don't mean anything, right? Now, this is, there's a very fine line, and of course, with anything in Zen, there's the middle way, right? The fine line between, you know, like we talk about effortless effort a lot. Like, what does it mean to throw your whole body and mind into your effort? And at the same time, have it be effortless, that's the, that's the request of Zen practice. And that's what training in Zen trains you in. How do you put forward your whole being and effort without, well, taking yourself out of the equation, actually. It's like, there's great effort, but you are not efforting. Like, how does that work? Right. A perfect question to bring up in a practice discussion context, for example. Right? I'm noticing that I've got this effort and my, I'm getting in, my, in the way of my own effort, right? Or there's a sense in my, which my effort is mine, and that keeps me back. Like, how do, what is that? How to work with that? So that's kind of a uh, kind of, uh, question. Fortunately, I'm like on page one of my talk. <laughs> oh, I wanted to, so getting back to this, uh, this Dharma transmission ceremony that's coming up, um, I don't know what is going to happen. I mean, we never know what's going to happen in the next moment. But in terms of the Dharma transmission ceremony, I will share with you that this is the ceremony that marks me as a teacher. Before the ceremony, I'm a novice, I'm a, I'm a monk, a, a priest. But I'm not yet, in some sense, a teacher. I'm not allowed to give precepts. 
right? I'm not allowed to confer, I'm not allowed to transmit to others, right? I can study precepts with people, and we have people who we've been doing uh, some precept study together. Uh, the word for, so the ceremony of receiving the precepts is called jukai, and how many people have seen, have been to a uh, jukai ceremony, have seen one? Okay, yeah. It's interesting, the jukai, the, the ju in jukai is interesting because it literally means, mm, it's translated as giving or receiving, bestowing or um, granting, like granting or being given, and then the kai is precepts. So kai is precept and the ju is kind of giving or bestowing or receiving. So it kind of includes all of that. But actually, literally, what the Jew means is making a space, creating the space for, which I think is fantastic in the, in the realm of like the culture, right? Having a ground, having the substrate from which things can grow. So in Jukai, it's kind of like you're, you're making a space, you're deciding, you're taking up a practice, you're entering a path with others, right? It's very much the ceremony of Jukai is a public ceremony where there's a public statement of like, I am on this path, and you're asked three times, do you want to be on this path? And you say yes. And it's something, you know, you can say no. You're like, yeah, actually, never mind. I've never actually seen anyone do that in the middle of a ceremony. But, but in like the beginning of like another ceremony is the ceremony of being a shuso, being a head student. And there's a ritual enactment where the person has to say no. Like, you know please, would you be the head student? And you actually say, no, I'm, I'm not worthy of this. And, you, and this part of the ceremony is you say no twice, and then the third time when you're asked, you say, okay. Even though I'm very, you know, I, I'm going to fail, I'm just, I'm going to do this. You know, and you say yes, even though you know that it's going to be challenging and difficult and that you're never going to live up to the expectations or the ideals, but you still say yes. Right? That's another part of our culture, is saying yes even though it's crazy. We do that when we say our vows, right? We say beings are numberless and I vow to save them. Crazy, it's crazy. Doesn't make any sense. Right, welcome to Zen. <laughs> and yet, there is not, it's not just willy-nilly anything goes, right? It's kind of like we know when we, I don't know, what is it? Like we know it when we see it. Is that this is kind of the feeling of it? It's like this intuition. But how do you, you know, in terms of developing that sense, you have to knock up against one another and you have to be able to meet with Kalyanamitta, with spiritual friends, and with a teacher as well. Somebody who's going to challenge you at some point. So in this going forward with this ceremony, this, as I mentioned, the first week will take place here and will consist of basically me bowing. I'll be doing a lot of bowing, I think. This is what the Busarai part of the ceremony is. And then there's going to be a lot of transcribing. So there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of calligraphy. You're doing that. And then more bowing, a lot of bowing. Um, and then the ceremony, and then I'll be going to Tassajara, which is my spiritual, my spiritual home, where I did most, most of my practice. And uh, during that time, 
I will be cloistered. It'll be during the work period, and the a Tim will be leading a group of uh, Austin Zen Center folks who want to go out and be um, uh, be at Tassajara for a work period for a Sangha work week. And meanwhile, I'll be kind of off to the side doing these ceremony during these ceremonies, a lot of different smaller ceremonies, and there'll be some way of, in which the Sangha can can participate. Uh, during the bowing. Like there's gonna be incense offerings and walking around to different places and doing lots of bows at different places and uh, ceremonial attendance and so forth. There's opportunities for that, which I'm not yet sure what that looks like, but I will keep you posted. One other description of Jukai that I like, and I'm, I'm, I'm linking these things together, the Dharma transmission ceremony, which will confer the ability for me to give precepts. Another description of Jukai is going beyond the dream of self. Okay, I really like that. Going beyond the dream of self. It's like, what's beyond the dream of self? Yeah. This public ceremony, saying this is, what, this is the path I want to walk on. There's another ceremony that I didn't really know the name of. I just was reading about it um, recently. It's a ceremony of Shoken. Anybody heard of that ceremony? The ceremony of Shoken? No? It's a ceremony. It's, I, don't, I never really thought of it as a ceremony, but it is. The ceremony of asking someone to be your teacher. Now, a number of people, we just had a precept study, uh, a precept class here in the fall, and a number of people from that class said they would like to continue to study the precepts. And so we've, we're going to start a group, a precept study group. It will happen on Tuesday evenings at probably 7 or 7.15. And the intention of the precept study group is to have a continuation from the class, but basically a way in which people will study the precepts together through studying different texts, and through talking about daily life and how the precepts come up in daily life as part of studying towards receiving the precepts in a Jukai ceremony. So I don't know if people know this, but we every Tuesday night there is a sewing class where people are sewing Buddha's robe. There's Buddha people, various people have Buddha's robe on. Yeah? And... Each individual person sews a robe, right? I mean, you get a lot of help. You might get a lot of help sewing the robe, but everybody sews their own in this tradition. That's part of the culture. You sew your own robe, right? And then in the ceremony, you receive the robe back, and it's written on. The back of it is written on. You're given a Dharma name, and there's usually some kind of a, uh, a stamp of what uh, the temple, a temple stamp, like where you receive the precepts, and the teacher who bestowed the precepts onto you. Right, and their stamp, their seals on there as well. <coughs> and that's kind of like an initiation ceremony, right? It's, an, it's kind of like jumping into the culture and saying, hey, this is part of my, I'm, this is part of my culture. I'm part of this tribe. It's kind of like that, right? Um, the ceremony of Shokin, however, is this private ceremony which basically happens in uh, Dokusan or in a practice discussion context where somebody comes in and says, would you be my, would you be my teacher? 
or I'd like to study the precepts with you. Right. Now, there's a lot of things that happen with that ceremony that it's, I mean, calling us, it's interesting because I, I know it's a ceremony, but I never really thought about it as a ceremony. I thought it was just part of uh, practice discussion, part of developing a relationship, right? And it's a mutual commitment. That relationship is a mutual commitment. That's always initiated by the student. You, well, I don't want to say always, because I know that other, sometimes people have come to, like a teacher has gone to somebody and said, I think you should be my student. <laughs> or I think you should receive the precepts. Now these things are also not necessarily intertwined. And I just, this, we don't really talk about this so much. And I think people have, may have questions, right? And just the other night talking with a couple people, I realized that there's a lot of things that I kind of take for granted that as part of the culture that I, I'm on my own. Like I'm out there like, oh yeah, this is how things are. But nothing's ever been made explicit <laughs> because I also shy away from making it explicit because that's my training. Right, is to actually provide a large space and see what happens. And within the idea of providing a large space or this substrate, this culture for things to grow, uh, to not go in and mess with it too much, right? to trust it as it unfolds, to see the wisdom of it, to, to acknowledge it as this is life unfolding in a, it, as an expression of wisdom and compassion. And so naturally, like not really wanting to go in and mess around with it so much. Or, you know, to go in and tend it. Like you can go in and tend a garden, but you don't want to be like, no, I want this rose to grow this way. I mean, you can. You can kind of force the rose or the whatever plant to grow in certain ways. But really, I think of it as like going in and just doing the weeding, creating the space, allowing things to grow. I see that as my job. It's my main job. However... With these ex, these my own internal assumptions, uh, I want to commit to this community to share my assumptions with you more frequently, and to you know to continue having a dialogue. So uh, Mary uh, mentioned having the council meetings this past week. We had Tanku in here, and she did some trainings in council. Uh, we ended up having a bunch of council meetings that last last weekend. That uh, there was like. There was one, a private one that happened on Thursday, and then another public one that happened on Friday, and then we did this right use of power training on Saturday, and then we had another, uh, one of the last of the three healing circles, we did another, we did a council. So we had a blast of council practice. And I just, I wanted to say that um, right now, I think where we are is we're experimenting as a community. I'm experimenting. Tim is experimenting. What works? What doesn't work? What do people, you know, if, I, if we throw something out there like, hey, how about this? How many people come? Um, what interest is there? Right? We're in that mode right now. So whether you know it or not, there's a lot of attention being paid to, like, what is, how is this culture manifesting? What are the avenues by which people can stick their toe in or jump all the way in? Right? I was talking to our new board uh, President Dave Petrozinski, and uh, he, we were talking about the fact that we've talked about opening up the board mem board meetings so that any member can show up for a board meeting. And we all, it's not that we don't like; it just hasn't happened, right? However, the board has been committed to making that happen, and so I think uh, the next board meeting, I think it's probably the next board meeting, we'll have a sign up sheet. 
anybody can maybe two slots per board meeting and anybody can come to the board meetings and further he had the thought of like having two times a month where it's like sign up to go on a walk with Dave talk to him about what it you know any concerns you have or interest that you have about what the board is up to fresh ideas new perspectives and then I thought I should do that I should have like uh, you know two times during the month maybe more of just like hey I'm gonna go on a walk at this time and people are welcome to join me because I think there's a high bar I'm starting to realize there may be a high bar to sign up to come to practice discussion I think people get kind of weirded out by like oh what does this mean you know we're gonna we're gonna light incense and bow and then what am I supposed to say and it's it's got a certain level of formality right and that's what I'm used to and I've been kind of just like well this is just how it's how it's done it's done but it doesn't have to be that way there can be other opportunities for informal meetings so I'm open to suggestions I uh, in in alignment with this wanting to open up the community and have some depth beyond the tea and cookies. Not to say that tea and cookies is not deep, because tea and cookies can certainly be very deep. But, but in, if you, do you know what I mean by that? So having some kind of a, an in, a way of engaging, that's my commitment. That's one thing that I'm committed to. And hearing from the Sangha members of like, what are your priorities as well? How do we grow our Zen culture? How do we not define it and limit it by defining it, by putting words around it, right? But how do we open up possibilities? Like how do we brainstorm about it? You know, as a visioning exercise, maybe. There are such, there's a lot more that I wanted to talk about, but um, I'm out of time. I think I'm way over time. So uh, stay tuned for other opportunities. And please, there's, uh, you know, my email is posted on the website. So is Tim's. And uh, sign up to see me for a practice discussion. Or just send me an email with your thoughts. And uh, let's do this together. Yeah, Charles. I wanted to recommend from my experience when you first brought up about engagement, further engagement with the culture. Yes. Uh, from my perspective, Volunteerism was a big, a big feature. Not, and you know, you think of volunteerism; it seems like something you're doing for other people. But I remember at one time when I was serving on the board, somebody thanked me very nicely for my service, and I was thinking in the back of my mind, this is one of the most nourishing, mm -hmm. most difficult, mm -hmm. challenging, but also the most nourishing things I've done in my life. And of course, the the grand. An example of that was in 2015 when we did the mountain seat ceremony and so many people came together mm. in various roles and participated. But that was a, a real way to meet people in the Sangha that I've never met before and connect with them, get to know them, and yes. deepen connections yes. in the community. Mm -hmm. ah. Thank you. Yeah, having something to, basically being employed, right? And I'm glad you brought up the... Uh, the idea of volunteerism, it's interesting because like when I think of a volunteer culture, my impression of, like you, like you mentioned, 
it's not quite volunteering because when you volunteer, it's like I'm doing this for you or like I'm giving my time for X. And there are so many things to volunteer for, right, in a Zen center from, you know, we were looking just the other day, uh, Tim was looking for a volunteer to uh, help shepherd the Hope Pantry project where we, you know, take the dry goods to the, um, the Hope Pantry when the, when the basket gets full enough, right? Some Zen centers have a volunteer culture where, like a, where everybody is given a job. Everybody. Whether it's doing the flower arranging, right? Ringing the bell for a noon sit. Um, signing up to be, you're coming for a work period, a work day. Being uh, on the dawn reel, ringing a bell. Cleaning the incenser after, after a service. Uh, being part of the Tenzo Rio. So this is like what you were thinking of. Like there are opportunities to, to do all kinds of things, but it's none of it's out there. And I haven't been letting people know of these things. So again, this is another part of like, what is our culture? How do we develop our culture? I've had people come in and say, I want to volunteer. And I'm like, great. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm not sure what what well, what do you what, what do you want to volunteer doing you know and uh, uh, I just I feel like that's part of not just it's not like taking a step back from the idea of volunteering it's like this this is your sangha so when you when you clean your dishes at home do you feel like you're volunteering to do that. No, right? It's just something you, you do because you're taking care of it. Or when you tend your, your garden, you grow your peppers and basil and your herbs outside, it's like, is this like, are you volunteering? It's like, this is part of what your, your engagement, this is your engaged activity, right? So in some sense, the word volunteer is kind of a misnomer, right? Yes. Yes, Mary. Sounds like Last you're saying... Question. Comment. Find some way that speaks to you in which you can engage in committed action that aligns with what you value here. Yes. And how many of you, could you say that again? Just <laughs> Find some way that speaks to you in which you can align your kind of committed action, your creative part of yourself, with what you value here and what you value in Zen. Yeah. When you say that, when you hear, when you hear Mary say that, does that make sense to people in terms of, like, or is it something that's, uh, yeah, like I wonder what, what it is that without, like, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm <laughs> being really inarticulate now in my own mind. It's like, what is that? To find what is that it engages you? What helps you grow spiritually? And how do you nourish that? How do you... Uh, provide the culture that allows for that to blossom right, within this community or you know wherever not maybe not in this community maybe it's in some other community but how do you do that in your life yes Tim I just want to broaden that a little bit because sometimes it's not the thing that you're really good at or the thing that you want to do no the place the <laughs> yeah. position you want to hold and the whole thing about Zen training is this kind of willingness to step into roles that I'm not sure what, what's going to be involved there, but yes, I'm willing to support in this way. Yeah, it's funny. At Tassahara, everybody has a role, obviously, because that's your, your, like I said, you're kind of there. And 
and oftentimes they really try not to put people in roles that they're good at. Like if you come in and you're a chef and you've got a lot of experience cooking, try not to make you put you in the kitchen at first. Just at first. And then they're like, you know, but meanwhile the director is like really trying wants you to be put in the kitchen, but like, no, we're not gonna put you in the kitchen yet. Or in the shop, and you know, if you're a handy person, it's like, no, don't do that. Um, but you know, that's that's an ideal, and that only works if, uh, y yeah, you have to balance that because if you have everybody in every position doing something that they have no idea how to do, it doesn't <laughs> last very long before you know. It's like, no, actually. But for example, like in terms of in terms of sharing one's expertise as well, it's like a, it's a great gift to be able to share one's expertise, right? It makes us feel that's this feeling of being employed, right? I feel like my gifts are I'm able to give freely of myself, and we have many people in the sangha who already do that, right? Thank you to all those volunteers who do that. You know who you are, and I think we all know who you are. Some of know who you are. Yes, there's one. <laughs> Can I um, go back to what you said at the beginning about how you have this wish for inclusivity? Yes. <clears throat> I think that's a, a really important question that sort of ties throughout your talk about like how I noticed that there are, how do we examine the things that are excluding people who want to bring something, want to uh, and so how do we take care of the practice that, so it allows people who can come in and bring and form relationships with people and we're allowing them to bring what they have to offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's just that's a very good question. About taking care and paying attention um, of our practice and helping other people to take care and that also deals with the transmission aspect of like, you know, you're, you're receiving something from somebody, they're coming with something, and you're taking care of it and wanting to nurture it. Meet it. How do we meet that? Yes. Right? Your, your teacher is wanting to take what you're bringing and nurture it and help it grow. And we're trying to maybe do that with people who come in the door. And like, how do we help them? How do we take care of and pay attention to what they have to offer and nurture it and like, help it grow? Benefit right, without necessarily knowing what it is, even. Without having, like, no, we don't want that. Or having a or, fixed view of what it looks like. Yeah, knowing yeah. exactly what it will be before we. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. There's, there's a way in which what Rich is talking about is that there's an acculturation process that has to be alive enough to change. Yes. And become to encompass that new addition to the culture. Right, room to grow, room, right? to, grow. room to grow. So we're not gonna indoctrinate you, you're going to be, you're gonna expand us. Well, and it's both, because we do do some indoctrination. Oh, right. <laughs> 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 Let's be clear. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's that middle way. How do we find that middle path, right? My apologies for going over. Please uh, join us for Tea and Cookies. And, and beyond. And beyond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you.